Open your Bibles, if you will, to Philemon. Paul's epistle to Philemon. Beginning in verse 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord, if thou count me, therefore, a partner, receive him as myself. Turn in your hymn books, if you will, to... 748. I'd like to speak to you for a little while today on what I have called a right view of success or the profitability of Christianity. Philemon is a curious addition to the Bible. It's just a personal letter. It's all about an imprisoned preacher capturing a liberated criminal. It's a book revealing what a slave learned from a servant about success. It is, if you will, a sort of gospel picture show where the doctrines of Christ are not so much spoken as acted out. So many practical lessons may be drawn from this showcase of the gospel of gospel living. We could, for example, talk of Christian manners among civilized people, of ecclesiology, of gospel labors under affliction, of biblical missions, of legitimate forgiveness, of the times and methods of interceding for offenders, of liberality and giving, of laws of hospitality, of the place of words, Brother Gormley, in the process of sanctification. We might observe how older saints, verse 9, more removed from the impediments of passion and ego that lead the young to harshness, should be given to tenderness 
and loving entreaty, drawing rather than driving men to obedience. We might even venture to be uncomfortably honest with the Bible's treatment of slavery and servitude that plays so prominent a role in this record and which volatile features are instructive not for the directions given here regarding one slave but for the requirements not recorded here when they might have been, etc., etc. Suffice it to say that upon a closer examination, Philemon is virtually brimming with practical directions for gospel living. We, however, will look at only one thing. I would ask the indulgence of the church this morning as I address the students among us primarily. Those that are set to go away to upper level schooling and those who will soon follow. Knowing that all I have to say will still have application to the heart of every hearer present today. While our students are in different phases of their educational careers, they all share in common the singular task of preparation of the mind for the duties and individual callings of their lives. Whatever may become of them beyond their formal schooling, for now they are called first to be faithful scholars. Oh, but time. What an empty vapor tis. In days how swift they are, swift as an Indian arrow flies, or as a shooting star. What was only yesterday a crayon and a lilting nursery rhyme for some of our pupils is today the final chapter of a saga and some first lines from the sobering prose of adulthood. And yet, whether our students are in the earlier periods of their education or the final steps, one bit of counsel from Philemon can help them. It can help them in a way that we all need help. It can help to revive again or to form in them for the first time an understanding of the sort of person God considers to be in the path of true success. This person is a simple person. This person is an often overlooked person, an underestimated person, but none of those features trouble him. This person is actually a thorn in hell's side. This quiet person changes the world like breezes shape the mountains. But this person makes no boast of their influence and seeks no recognition of their efforts. They are the deep ocean currents, moving life irresistibly along channels of blessing, unseen and unruffled by the turmoil just above. And they are best described in only one word. Onesimus. 
Onesimus, the converted, freed slave, is more than a Sunday school picture of salvation, however. He is that, but he was a real man. And his real salvation had the same basic parts as every other real Christian. He was lost. The law came and convicted. The gospel came and refreshed. And in the words of Luke, Onesimus thereafter followed Jesus glorifying God. These parts are to be found in every true believer's experience. But there is something else about his authentic Christianity. What James might call pure religion. Or the Puritans warm and devout religion. That the Holy Spirit presents for our instruction. And it is this. Listen to me young people. It is this. Usefulness. Usefulness. It's the same word often translated profitable in older versions. Verse 11. Profitable. This is the very opposite of a man or a woman or a boy or a girl without Christ. Says Dr. Gill, every man in his state of unregeneracy is an unprofitable man. Unprofitable to God, to men, and to themselves. Their sins will not profit them, nor will their riches, nor their own righteousness, nor even an outward profession of religion. Yea, they are not only said to be unprofitable, but are represented as good for nothing. <laughs> Hence they are compared to dishonorable vessels, to briars and thorns, to the salt that has lost its savor, to rotten figs, to chaff and dross of metals. Yea, they are hurtful and injurious to themselves, on whom they bring ruin and destruction to others, to wicked men whom they more and more corrupt, and to good men whom they grieve, and also to the interest and glory of God, whose laws they transgress, and against whom they sin, affront His justice, and provoke the eyes of His glory. Unprofitable without Christ. Young people, listen to me carefully. I don't have to ask if you dream or daydream about the life that lay ahead of you. About what you might do or wish to do. About the things you may want or places you might like to go or amusements you might like to enjoy or comforts you are sure that you plan to have. If you are human at all, I know you think of these things. Some of you may have a habit of thinking about them because you are selfish and you're worldly and you take great delight in musing over you and what you want in this interesting life. 
Some of you may consider these things with a good deal of maturity and with a real desire to move into your future in a way that pleases God. Some of you may not have a bad habit of thinking mostly of what will make you happy, but you may also have no good habit of considering what will most please the Lord. To each and every one of you, I would say, you must first be a Christian. This is the most urgent thing. To have the religion of Christ. This is the chief concern of mortals here below. May we its great importance learn, its sovereign virtue know. And if you have any reason to hope, any confidence at all, however shaky, that Christ is your Savior by grace, you must be reminded that your life is not your own. You must not think of success as the world does. You must not think of profit as the world does. You must look for clues as to what God calls success and read the math book of the Holy Spirit to see what equals profit in the economy of heaven. And here is one such clue for you. Onesimus. Onesimus will help you understand what it really means to be a successful man or a successful woman in God's eyes. Onesimus became a Christian. And Christianity made Onesimus useful because real Christianity makes men profitable. I did not say wealthy, but I did say prophet. There were no guesses in Paul's words in verse 11. He didn't say, I hope he will be profitable to you. Let's give it a try. Paul knew what genuine religion looked like. He confidently says Onesimus was not profitable, but now he will be. Paul knew that usefulness and salvation have a relationship. So he would speak in another place about how the wicked are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Onesimus abandoned his master in Colossian. If you remember your geography, it was over 1,300 miles away. He abandoned his master in Colossae but fell into the gospel net of Paul in Rome. Grace has long arms indeed. But it also has rich fruit. Christianity transformed Onesimus from a man that was only thinking of himself to a man that studied to be profitable to God and to others. This, this, not physical skill, not a big brain, not a large bank account, not a handsome face, not a fancy house, not modern toys, not a high paying job or a skill set. 
but usefulness to the glory of God and his fellow man and especially to the saints. This won him the admiration of an apostle and a simple but glorious review in the book of God. Oh, what happy changes conversion makes, said Mr. Henry. What happy changes. This, young people, this is what God calls successful. Well then, let us see if we can reduce our verse 11 to some helpful points for young people who are building lives. I would ask and briefly answer a few simple questions which I will be careful to delineate as some of my students have noted that my speaking is not always easy to outline. And I would ask and briefly answer a few simple questions about the profitability of Christianity. Firstly, who can be useful? Who can be useful? Young people, whoever you are, that's the answer. Whoever you are, Christian. There's a tendency among the average youth in any generation to look at the older, more experienced, perhaps more skilled or knowledgeable persons in their families or churches or community and surrender to uselessness before the fight has ever begun. This is the fault of critical misunderstanding of what God calls useless and a critical misunderstanding of the interesting relationship of things in this life of how everything is somehow dependent upon another. With the religion of Christ in your heart, directing and energizing your behavior, you can be truly profitable to your generation. The king himself is served by the field. Solomon reminds us, Ecclesiastes 5 and 9. Little does the farmer think while he breaks his back with labor out in his lonely field that his sweat will turn into health for some of the greatest or most precious folks on earth. Understand what is happening in verse 11. One of the mightiest of the very special Few apostles Christ ever chose has taken up his pen to talk about a slave? A nobody? He's profitable to thee and to me. Onesimus has done me good and he will do a wealthy leader among the saints good as well. How can that be? How can that be? It's simple. It's simple, young people. It's because of the excellent quality of the religion in his heart. Christ's religion, if ever taken into a heart by grace, makes a man a treasure. Oh yes, it's true. 
makes a man a treasure. Christians ought to hang their heads at the sight of their sins, but never at the thought of their salvation. We might be treated like the outcast, but we are the king's children. The Holy Spirit has declared it to be so, for He says, Proverbs 12 and 26, the righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. And it is entirely owing to an excellent salvation from an excellent master which enables the smallest, simplest person to be actually useful to a generation, actually pleasing to our God. What a mystery. What a mystery is this. Hmm. But Christianity is full of wonderful surprises. Is it not? <laughs> Pastor, preach on that sometime. The wonderful surprises of Christianity. Well, behold, the surprise of usefulness in these words of Paul. To thee and to me, useful. A sinner saved by grace becomes a wonder to himself. That having been surprised to find out just how awful and helpless he really was, he then may be surprised to find himself genuinely useful to the kingdom and honored by the king. What a religion of wonderful surprises. Who can be useful in their day, young people? Who can be useful in their day? I say again, whoever you are, if you are Christ. For Christianity enables a person to be truly prophet. Remind yourself of this. Remind yourself of this as you tackle your own weaknesses and insufficiencies and awkwardnesses and discouragements. Listen, listen. For the body is not one member, but many. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body? And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem, which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think, we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have a more abundant comeliness. So says the word of God. Let it correct your view of things. Take this as a word to those of us who are no longer children or young adults. Let us take care not to discourage usefulness with self-approving standards of service. Let us see that where form or polish 
age or education may be lacking, real fruit may still abound. But as it may often be different fruit than ours, it is fruit nonetheless. Let the apple tree not burn the plum tree. Onesimus was hardly a Paul, but Paul still praised Onesimus. I'll say amen for the older people. Mr. Flavel, as many wise men, sorry, Emmerich, as many wise men are in the habit of doing, meditated upon nature and spent time in gardens. And one such day he recorded this event in his day book. He said, seeing a tree grow somewhat irregular in a very neat orchard, I told the owner it was a pity that tree should stand there and that if it were mine, I would root it up and thereby reduce the orchard to an exact uniformity. <laughs> if I were a tree, every tree would be just like me. Mr. Flavel continues, it was replied to this purpose, that he rather regarded the fruit than the form. Says Mr. Flavel, I could not but yield to the reason of this answer. <laughs> Our being useful, says Reverend Jay. I love these words. Our being useful does not depend upon our abilities and station. Let us remember it when discouraged from exertion. Oh, if I had such opportunities and means, I would serve my generation. But if great faculties were necessary, continues Mr. J, they would be more frequently bestowed. Listen carefully now to what he's saying. If you disagree, it's not with me. If great faculties were necessary, they would be more frequently bestowed. Situations calling for ten talents are rare. Those which require five are more common. But those which demand only one are to be found everywhere, every day. We ask, who can be profitable? You, young Christian, you, young unbeliever, if you will come to Christ, by the power of His religion in your heart and life, you can quit being good for nothing and be useful to the praise of Christ and useful to the souls around you, even to your own soul. And you will find the only lasting delight in life to be in the profitability of Christianity. What shall I do was then the word that I may worthier grow. What shall I render to the Lord is my inquiry now to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear His pardoning voice 
changes a slave into a child. And duty into choice. Who can be profitable? You can be profitable in Christ. We must move quickly then to ask, secondly, how much useful is enough? How much useful is enough? The simple answer, young people, is this. All that you can do. (laughs) All that you can do. Where you are with the gifts and opportunities that you have in the time that you have. Listen now, I didn't say when you have the time. I said in the time that you have. But let this never slip your mind that what counts as profitable is not what strokes your ego. It is not what fluffs your bank account. It is not what impresses your friends or protects your idol of comfort and pleasure or hunts for power and influence of any sort. As God alone reserves the right to declare what is well done, Matthew 25 and 23 You must be looking to apply yourself to whatever pleases Him. And then useful means all that you can do. All that you can do. It should be obvious to any reader of the New Testament that it is not merely the size or popularity of a thing that makes it useful in Christianity. It is rather the recipient and the purpose that have more to do with value. The recipient and the purpose. To be sure, a serious Christian will always feel as though they have never done enough. And feel as though the best they can do is nothing at all, any work. And from one side of the matter, this is right to feel this way. We are nothing without Christ. And all our righteousnesses are filthy. And all our service to the Lord and all our service to our fellow man is just simply trash. Apart from His grace and His approval. But this, this is the grand thing. He gives grace. And he accepts the broken service of his people. Small are the offerings we can make. Yet thou hast taught us, Lord, if given for the Savior's sake, they lose not their reward. We haven't the time to speak of great and famous examples of profitable people. These are much easier to recognize. And listen, they are just as easily imagined to be the only measurements of a fruitful Christian. We know of the Daniels and Pauls. 
of the Luthers and Ann Judsons of history. These are ten talent folk, if you will. We take a moment, however, to say a word of the single talent people about which Reverend Jay spoke. Let me be clear, young people. Listen, I understand the religion of Christ to be a striving, a reaching, a stretching oneself out religion so that everybody ought to sincerely wish to be a Daniel or a Judson. And more than wish, they ought to work to copy their best habits. But nobody should fail to be profitable where they are simply because they cannot be one of the so-called superstars of church history. Ironically, I find that one of the most common side effects of studying the shining stars in the history of Christianity, who are often presented to us as, quote, real Christians, is that young and old alike lose their zeal when they recognize what ought to be obvious to us all. That most Christians are not called to service that will mark them out in history, not even local history. The church may even inadvertently discourage weaker Christians or young folk by pretending that no other sort of Christian is worthy of our attention but those whom God uses like chisels to mark waypoints on the timeline of the church. But young people, <clears throat> we sinners fall so easily out of the right way into one or the other sin, I will repeat myself. Every one of you ought to have a heart to be like the most famous of God's servants. Mind my words now, low standards are an insult to Christ. But you must be sensible and not become discouraged and leave off all attempts to do the greatest things that may be done by you in your generation, in your place, by having a broken idea of God's ordinary dealings. You must understand that the Lord looks upon the heart. In your heart, He should see someone who desires to be as useful as a Moses but so humble as to never be known outside his own faith. Ready to fight upon the rooftop. Happy to do little chores in the basement. You must learn that Christ is building a large church with little pieces. And that while He is the gardener of all the stars, He's the keeper of every tiny seed of service. How? If He gives you an opportunity to serve like a scudder, seize it. If faithfulness in your local church and community 
is all you're ever able to do, and that will be the case for most Christians seasoned proudly. We dismiss the little things, but God collects them. We imagine only big things are great things. We imagine only big things are great things. Not so. Some of you children have had been trained in the classical tradition. This is a propensity of those that are classically trained, especially because of spending so much time in the company of the greats. We forget God's relationship to little things. We imagine only big things are great things, but it is not so. Listen, big things are great things only if they are good things. And as such, any good thing is profitable, even when it's small. Love seeketh not itself to please, nor for itself hath any care, but for another gives its ease and builds a heaven in despair. Who said that, Mr. Blake? So sung. A little clod of clay trodden with the cattle's feet. Was that useful? It was only a clod of clay. What if there were no clay for feet? Try to make a rocket fly without some little rivets if you can. What am I saying? Only this, young people. Don't Waste your life looking for some golden ray from heaven to show you the way to an exceptional experience of service or a calling that will put your name in the history books or even the family books. Take what gifts and graces you have been given now and treat each day like you're working for a king because you are. Invest all of your heart in every service to God. And know, know that usefulness is activeness, faithfully. Usefulness is activeness, faithfully. Oh, it's in a martyr's grave. Indeed it is. Indeed it is in a martyr's grave, but it is also in a kind word or a simple hug. Every little bit of godly service is profitable in God's eyes. It is profitable to His glory, to the church, to your own soul, to the lost who watch you. Let God worry about whether it's one big opportunity or ten tiny ones. Besides, the greatest deeds in history are really only the sum of small and intentional services. That's right. Go home and ransack your library and see if I'm wrong. The greatest deeds are just the sum of small and intentional services. Put all your heart into every service. Nothing should be too ordinary. Nothing too small. Christ's religion is not something you should carry with you to your daily occupations. It is your occupation. And it makes you profitable. By pressing and drawing you to seize every opportunity to be useful for 
for praising God, for encouraging the saints, for rooting out sin, for leading the lost to Christ, for comforting the sick and ministering to the needy, for instructing the ignorant and protecting the weak. For going about everywhere like Jesus doing good in all the millions of little ways these things may be done on any ordinary day in a million ordinary ways. What a picture the poet painted. Small service is true service while it lasts. A friend's however humble scorn not one. The daisy by the shadow that it casts protects a lingering dewdrop from the sun. <laughs> yes, sir. In Matthew 25, oh, oh, what a solemn scene of judgment. What a solemn scene of judgment in Matthew 25. But listen, listen, young people. It wasn't buildings, bodies, budgets, or books that Jesus especially noticed. It was little bits of love expressed in practical, profitable ways to Him, for Him. You visited me, He said. You gave me a bite to eat. You quenched my thirst. You clothed me. You nursed me. Now inherit the kingdom. But what better example can we offer than Christ Himself? Don't you know real usefulness looks like Jesus? In His earthly ministry, you can find a summary of a really useful life and learn what variety usefulness can have. You'll find Matthew 12 and 1, you'll watch Him feed His disciples. You'll see Him provide for His family, John 19 and 27. You'll see Him embracing a young Christian, John 13 and 23. You'll see Him learning, Hebrews 5 and 8. And teaching Mark 10 and 1. And finally, you'll see him dying for others. Luke 23 and 46. And all of this in a context of constant praise and adoration of the Heavenly Father. Oh, how useful he was to all the world. How very useful. Let us take our cues for usefulness. <clears throat> but now let me offer a word of caution before we move to close. And may the Spirit apply it where it may be needed. First, allow me to state the obvious and say useful is useful. Not intentions of usefulness. You will recall the pastor's warning last Sabbath. Well-meaning is not automatically well-doing. Something more than good intentions is required for real usefulness. 
Any sane businessman knows that profit is not built on purposes alone, but on industry. <clears throat> and secondly, I would caution you to be careful of measuring your usefulness by that busy work to which you are most attached. Or by which you are most accustomed to measure the holiness of others. Martha was awfully busy with good things in Luke chapter 10. Good things that she thought were the measure for other people's holiness in that moment. But sometimes those good things are not the best measurement of real profit. There's a message to develop, Brother Jacob, when good things are not the measurement of real profit. Sometimes useful may involve very little labor, just like uselessness may be very, very busy. Amen. There is so much more that could be said on these points, but our time and my voice will not allow. We will close with this final question. What motivates usefulness? What motivates usefulness? And in answering that question, I would have you to consider these things. Firstly, consider the command. Saving grace draws us to run in Christ's footsteps, but God's law demands it. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. In short, worship Him always. Love thy God and love thy neighbor as thyself. Are these not supremely useful things? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Isn't Matthew 5.16 interesting? The light that we must not hide under a bushel. What is that light? It's our usefulness. Our profitable behavior. Let them always see your worship and adoration of God. Let them always see your affection and support of the church of Christ and your animosity towards error. Let them see you reaching to win sinners from destruction by living the love of Christ. Do it! It is commanded. But secondly, consider what it does for others. Take a good long look at this life from time to time. Come spend time with me at the jail after the Sunday services are over. 
Are there not many lifetimes worth of misery in just one generation? If you could put a sound to all the physical sufferings of the world right now, could you escape the sickening noises everywhere, anywhere? And this is nothing compared to the spiritual misery everywhere you turn. Look at all the ways people are trying to get out of reality because of the emptiness of their souls. They're soul sick and they're without hope in the world, Ephesians 2 and 12. In an ocean of such need, is there nothing you can do? Really? If you're not a Judson, can you not be content to be the next quiet friend who walked with John just to keep him company? Third John 6. Can you not find a pulpit in the sanctuary of your daily chores to plead with people not to go to hell? Laborers of Christ arise and gird you for the toil. The dew of promise from the skies already cheers the soil. Anybody can sit around and judge. Will you not have pity on your fellow man and be useful to them? Consider your own soul. It is just as Mr. Flavel has said, the life of a Christian is no idle or easy life. Such as devote themselves unto it and make religion their business will find it no easy work to exercise themselves to godliness. Many there are that love the reputation and sweet of it who cannot endure the labor and sweat of it. In a word, it's a hard road to the new Jerusalem. So a habit of profitable things is good for your own soul. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it lovely that while Onesimus served Paul, the Lord was serving him. While Onesimus labored profitably to submit his own heart to Christ, to worship the risen Savior, to minister to the comforts and needs of others, he was being helped along to heaven. This is the prophet of Christianity. Consider next the praise of God. Are you a happy recipient of the mercy and grace of God? Young people, is He wonderful to you at all? Consider how the usefulness of Onesimus stirred up praise to the Lord and it still does. From your private study to your public service, useful behavior calls down blessings and blessings draw out praise and recommends the God of your salvation to a watching world. 
A profitable Christian adorns the gospel, Titus 2 and 10, or as Dr. Gill so wonderfully puts it, a suitable life throws a beauty on it. Hallelujah. And be sure, where there is beauty, there is praise. Finally then, We're asking the question, what motivates to you? Consider usefulness as a tribute to your Savior. Is this not the greatest motivation of usefulness? Where is the energy for any part of the Christian life? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You'll find reason enough there for any worship, for any trust, for any service. Not, not I count as pleasure compared, O Christ, with thee. Thy sorrow without measure earned peace and joy for me. I love to own Lord Jesus. Thy claims or me divine. Bought with thy precious blood, most precious, whose can I be but thine? Oh, worldly pomp and glory, worldly pomp and glory, your charms are spread in vain. I've heard a sweeter story. I found a truer game. Oh, Jesus, friend unfailing. How dear art thou to me. Has he done for your soul what he did for Onesimus? Has he crowned your life with loving kindnesses and tender mercies? Do you not love him for it? Do you not love him for it? If you would bow your head and close your eyes with me. I would take upon our hearts the
Thank you.